The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. I just wanted you to know I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming this weekend. Proud of you for making this investment. I know some of you this means uh, taking off work, maybe using vacation days. At the very least, you drove three hours to get here. And uh, I just want you to know, I, 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 during worship, I just felt like I just felt like God is proud of you for doing this. And uh, and this investment you're making, I believe, is gonna is gonna produce something really really good in your life and in your family. And so as we kind of get started tonight, I just want to encourage you. I know it's something we kind of throw around in the church world a lot, but I really do. I want to encourage you to have an expectation this weekend, an expectation to hear from the Lord, an expectation to uh, receive something that can change your life. How many believe that on a weekend like this that God can show up and speak something to you that could change your life, that could change your marriage, that could change the way you parent, that could change the way you see the world around you, that could change your circumstance. You believe that this morning? Lift up your hand like you believe it. I believe that God can do that for you, but you, but you got to believe it too. you got to set your faith for that. So I want to encourage you tonight uh, and all weekend long, I want you to get out a pen, take notes. You know, expect God to say something to you so you're going to take notes because when it comes, you don't want to miss it, right? All right, let's pray, and then we're going to welcome up my dad. Lord, we love you tonight, and we say that uh, we're here to hear, we're here to listen, and we're here to minister. Lord, we thank you that you're going to use us this weekend to minister to our fellow brothers. But more than anything, God, we just want to have an encounter with you. We know that one word from you can change everything. And so we, we, uh, we thank you. Uh, we're going to get a word. We expect a word from you. Whether it's in this message, where it's tomorrow, whether it's while we're walking along a path, whether it's in the middle of the night in a dream, whatever it is, Lord, we believe, and I ask that you speak one word clearly to every man that is here, Lord, that can change our life and impact our life and impact our future. Lord, we, we, we ask for that. Lord, your word says that we have not because we, we, we don't ask. And so we ask, Lord, we ask you to speak to us and reveal yourself to us in a greater way. And we thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Do me a favor and give a big round of applause to my dad, Kim Blanis. All right, man. Thank you. Great to be here with you guys. Thanks for coming out. Wow, I know a lot of you, some of you, I don't know. And uh, that's great. And I want you to say this with me. We've, we've prayed, but now I want you to say this. Say, I will. Say it boldly. I will receive everything, everything God has for me in Jesus' name this weekend. Now clap your hands if you believe that. Praise God. Well, I'm, I'm going to be uh, in my message tonight. It's titled, What is Man? What is Man? And uh, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. It's a little bit different, okay? And... You know, when you study the ministry of Jesus, uh, Jesus asked a lot of questions. And one of the ways you learn in life is, is by asking questions, right? Uh, and I'll tell you a little story about that. Uh, in 1983, Josh was four years old. It was about this time of the year. I remember this. And uh, my daughter, Brooke, was eight, and we were in Fort Worth, and we were doing a meeting at a church. And uh, I had lived in Fort Worth about five years previous to that, well, about six years, and so we were back, and there was a guy in the church that I had been at previously that came to the meeting, and uh, it was a guy that I had prayed for. This guy was in his probably close to 80 years old then. His name was Mr. Dupuis. He was a French Cajun guy, and I didn't know he was coming to the meeting, but I had prayed for him previously when I was just a young guy in the ministry, and God had healed him. He had a heart condition, went to the hospital, and he came out of the hospital, and God touched his heart. How many know God can heal people still? So it was very cool. So Mr. Dupuis comes to the meeting, and, and we were done, and he came up to me afterwards. Hey, Brother Ken, it's good to see you. He said, hey, you know, I know you're here. You got maybe time to have dinner with me a night while you're here. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, I, I would like to take you and your family to a lobster restaurant. 
And so I said, yes, we'll make that happen. We'll clear a schedule. So this is, now Josh is four, and he's never had lobster in his life, okay? So we go to this lobster restaurant to meet Mr. Dupuy. And as we, we come in, Josh begins to ask questions. And so and he would always ask me questions. He'd say, hey, Dad, you know there's a big lobster tank, right? All these lobsters floating around with the rubber bands. And he started asking questions. Hey, Dad, is that what we're going to eat? Dad, what does a lobster taste like? Hey, Dad, is that band? Does that keep that cloth? Dad, what if you took that cloth? Hey, Dad, if I stuck my finger in that, would it cut my finger off? Hey, Dad. And he was always doing this. He would always go, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. So he's asking me all these questions, right? Just question after question, which is pretty normal. So we finally sat down, and he keeps asking questions. Hey, Dad, can I order lobster when they come out? What comes with the lobster, Dad? Hey, Dad, how the salt get in the salt shaker? Hey, Dad, when's the oysters coming back? Dad, can I have a Sprite? And he just goes, question, 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 right? And so Mr. Dupuy, I notice, is sitting there, and he's an older guy, and he's kind of grinning at this. And, you know, kind of, I remember, I remember how he looked. He was a little round guy with white hair combed straight back, curly hair. And he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes, sir. He said, does that boy ask a lot of questions? I said, are you kidding me? This is my life. He's always asking me questions. And he said, well, can I help you? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you know why he asks questions? And I said, well, I, no, what do you mean? I didn't know where he was going with that. He said, because he's only four years old, and he doesn't know much yet. And he's hungry to know about life, and you're his dad. He asks you questions because he wants to hear what his dad has to say about this. So he said, let me tell you something. As this boy grows up, take the time to answer his questions. Because if you don't, he could grow up and be stupid. That's what he said to me. Did you get that revelation as it flew by? A lot of people struggle in life because maybe their dad didn't answer their questions, or maybe they just don't ask questions. So I'm going to ask you some questions tonight. Well, a big part of Jesus' ministry was he asked a lot of questions. Did you know in the Bible, in the four Gospels, Jesus asked over 300 questions. Isn't that amazing? 300. Everybody say 300. So here's some of the questions he asked. I think we've got them on the screen. Uh, Mark 440. Why are you afraid? What do you want me to do for you? Mark 1051. Matthew 928. Do you believe I am able to do this? It's a good question. Luke 8, 25, where is your faith? Matthew 9, 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? Matthew 14, 31, why did you doubt? Matthew 16, 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Matthew 16, 15, who do you say that I am? It's a good question. Now, uh, John 18, 34, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Matthew 19, 17, why do you ask me about what is good? So my title tonight is, What is a Man? What is a man? What are you supposed to do? What are, what are you supposed to be in life? And I'm going to answer this from Scripture. And that Scripture or, or that question is even asked in Scripture. In Hebrews 2, 6 in uh, the Bible, it says this, but one testified in a certain place, saying, and this is quoting Psalm 8, actually, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? So tonight, I'm going to ask a lot of questions, all right? You might want to write some of these down. I've got three big questions to ask you, but I'm going to ask some questions. My first question is the most questioned. I got on Google, right? And I wanted to know what was the most asked question in life. And here's what it was. Why are you here? Why are you here? I think we probably all ask that question, right? There's a quote by a man named Miles Monroe, and he says this, and I think it's so good. The two greatest days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. See, you're here for a great purpose and a design for living on this planet. And I don't know if most people find out what they were put here to do. There's a preacher that told this story years ago, and he had taken a fall and broken his uh, elbow when he was in the hospital. This is back a long time ago, back in the 50s. And uh, he tells a story that this happened because he had disobeyed God about something. 
and the Lord had been dealing with him about something. He was a preacher, about something he wanted him to do, and he just kind of was putting it off and putting it off. And so he fell, took a fall, broke his elbow. And the Lord dealt with him and said, you opened up the door for this to happen. Now understand this, God is good, and he doesn't break people's elbows. What happens sometimes is we are not obedient to do what he wants us to do, and we open up the door for things to happen, right? So he's laying in the hospital uh, bed late at night, and this preacher was, he was kind of amazing because he had open visions of Jesus more than once in his ministry. An open vision of Jesus is when Jesus just walks in the room and you physically see Jesus, and that'd be pretty cool, right? And I've, I've never had that happen, and most of us won't. <laughs> but, but this guy, this had happened to him, and the Lord had shown him vision. So he said he was laying in the hospital bed that night, and he heard footsteps coming down the hall in the middle of the night. And the door creaks open, and in walks Jesus. It'd be pretty cool if Jesus walked in, right? So Jesus pulled up a chair and sat down, and he said, begin to talk to him. And he said, I've forgiven you of where you missed it. And you're right with me again, and, uh, and I appreciate you doing that. And then Jesus told him this. He said, and you are about to enter the third and final phase of your ministry. And then Jesus threw the statement in. Most people don't enter the first phase of their ministry. And that struck me. I thought, whoa, most preachers don't enter the first phase of their ministry? And then, I don't know, my mind just said, well, if most preachers don't enter the first phase what about just average people? Do, do we not enter the, the, the depth of what God has for us? Because let me tell you something. You are here for purpose. Write that down. I am here for purpose. If you weren't, when you got saved, God would have just taken you to heaven. <laughs> but you're here, and you're not just living out your time. You're not just surviving, but you're here for a great and grand purpose of God. You're here to fulfill something. You're here to do something. And I think we can look at Jesus and maybe we can get a glimpse of some principles that he lived by that will help us fulfill our purpose. Does that make sense? And so here's another question. How did Jesus fulfill his purpose? Go to the, go to the book of John, chapter, thir chapter 13. Let's look at verse 3. And there's something here that I, I want to I dig into a little bit. Now, now, to give you some backstory, this is when Jesus... This is like right before he's going to the cross. And you may remember the story. It's like right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And then the soldiers came and took him. This is right before that. And he is about to wash his disciples' feet. He's about to take a, a pan and a towel. And he's going to go around and wash the feet of, of his disciples. Remember the story? Is that amazing? Jesus the Lord God who created this earth and everything in it and every person born is going to wash and serve the, the disciples, his very disciples that he's going to leave his ministry in the hands of. And it's a very humbling thing to wash somebody's feet. Guys, bring the buckets out. We're going to begin to do that right now. No, not really. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that tonight. Aren't you glad? And in Bible days to do that, you know, you got to understand these, this is, there was no pavement, no paved streets. They're walking around in dirt with sandals in Israel, and, and their feet were nasty, and they didn't take showers like we do. As often as we do, they didn't have showers. They didn't bathe that often. So this was an humbling thing to do. But it gives us something before Jesus did that that I think is very important that helps us see part of our purpose. And I think our purpose is maybe hidden in this. And let's read it, John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, and then he washed their feet. But there's three things I want to point out here that Jesus, that this is talking about. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God, and that he went to God. And here, write it down this way. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He understood his priorities. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew his assignment in life. And Jesus knew where he came from. He knew his position in life. You with me? Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going. And he knew where he came from. He knew his priority, his assignment, 
in his position. So my question to you tonight is, do you know this? Do you know what the priority of your life is as you're serving here on the earth? Do you know what your assignment is? Because we all have an assignment. Do you know what your position is that you fulfill these things? And so let me break it down for you. First of all, Jesus knew who he was. So who are you and what is your priority? We'll give you three fundamental things tonight. And the first one is Jesus knew who he was. Now go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And we're going to find this. All these are foundational truths that we build our life on. You know, singing, we were singing and, and worshiping the Lord and surrendering. But then when we surrender, there's some things that we're going to have to work out and walk out in life, right? And, and so what are they? What are the fundamental foundational things of life that we build on? It tells us here, Genesis 1.27, the first mention of human beings. And God, it says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So here's the first thing that you got to understand about who you are. You are a man. <laughs> and you are a male man. And I say that boldly because there's a lot of confusion about this in our generation at this time. I just saw a video this week from Prager University. And there was a guy that went on the campus of UC Berkeley. And he asked this question, how many genders are there? How many genders are there? And he got all kinds of answers. First person said, um, I think there's seven, seven genders. Uh, the next person said, oh, there's way over 100, way over 100 genders. Really? Uh, what are they? And the guy started trying. He said, well, there's male and female, and then there's cis female and cis male. You ever heard of that? And then there's, eh, he said, I don't, I don't know them all, but there's over 100. And then the next guy said, uh, he said, well, I'm not sure. So there's a lot of con confusion about this. So let me just define this to help you out tonight. You are a man. You are a male man. That's who God determined you to be. Write this down. Design determines function. And the way you were designed by God is the way God wanted you to that's what he wanted you to be. So if you have the physical design of a male, then God intended you to be a man. Am I making this clear enough? Your equipment defines what you are. I'm not trying to be crude, but people are confused about that right now. So if you got male equipment, you know, you got to look at it this way. It, this is what works in life. Nothing else works. If you have a bolt and you try to put a bolt with it, it it's not going to do anything in life, right? If you, if you have two nuts, i got to be careful with that. Okay, but, but you try to put them together, it doesn't work. You need a bolt and a nut, right? Am I being clear enough? Turn to somebody at the table and say, you're a man. That's what God created you to be. And God is laying the foundation of family right here in the beginning. In these first, there's not even people living yet. But God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create people. There's going to be men and women. And they're going to come together and get married. And then I'm going to give them power over life. It's going to be power like I've had, like I have. They're, we're created in the image of God. You're not God, but you are created on this high level to operate and function like God. Now, we all fell because of Adam from that purpose. And now trouble comes in our life. And we all have to face that trouble, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus came. And Jesus came to restore to you what the enemy stole from you. Jesus came to restore to you that you can be fruitful and multiply and have dominion in life and hold your head up. Say, I might have missed it, but I am a new creature in Christ. That is behind me and I'm moving on. You created a man to fulfill a great purpose. Hallelujah. Now, let's look in Genesis 2-7 as things progress here. Is everybody doing all right so far? You got to know who you are. Design determines function. Genesis 2-7 says, In the Lord God, now he declares what men and women are going to do and be, but now he begins to walk it out. 
And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils. <gasps> you know, breath represents life. You got to have a lot of breath to, to live. You got to breathe often. You can live, they tell us, quite a, quite a while without food. Now, you'll eventually have to eat, but you can live, and I don't like to do this, but you could live 40, 50 days without food before starvation sets in. You can live less time without water. You got to have water more than you got to have food. But you can't live long at all without breath. Just you breathing tonight is a testimony that God's life was put in you. Breathing in and breathing out, you are saying, and if an atheist says, I don't believe in God, his very breath testifies against him that the life he's breathing is God in him. Wow. So Adam is created by God from the dust of the ground. So man was made from dirt. That's where he came from. Now, this is interesting because we're going to, we can read later, and woman didn't come from the dirt. She came from the man. She was sourced out of the man. But the man came from the dust of the ground. So we see right here in the beginning that there's going to be some difference in men and women and the way we are and the way we think. You know, we're having a men's meeting, right? And men's meetings we do differently than ladies' meetings. We're at a camp, and we're outside. And are we going to shoot guns tomorrow, David? Uh, yeah, shoot guns. You know, that's not a woman's meeting. One time Josh and I did a, uh, years ago when he was still at Gateway, we did a couple of men's meetings with some churches that were af affiliated with our ministry. We had some guys come from Alabama and Louisiana and Texas and different places. And, and, uh, and we did one of them at uh, Raton, New Mexico, at the Whittington Gun Center one of the premier gun ranges in America. And that was a man's meeting. And the cabins were pretty nice, but when I went out, I didn't know what the meeting room was going to look like. And this was in May, and this is in the southern Rockies. And, you know, most of the time in May, it's warming up. And, but there was a freak blizzard that blew into Denver. And so it, we didn't have snow, but it was cold. In fact, the morning we started the meeting, we started one morning, it was 17 degrees. And the meeting room had a concrete floor, was a metal building with no heat and no air. And it's cold. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, buddy, it, it's tough. And these guys are coming. We had about 100 guys or so. And so I'm thinking, i got to rally these guys. Or we're, you know. So I got up and I said this. I said, guys, you know what? It's a little cold out here this morning. But I said, you know, this is a men's meeting. Now, this was a, if this was a woman's meeting, we would have to cancel. But we're men. And we're going to be fine. And everybody goes, Urgh! and I didn't hear one complaint the whole two-day meeting because they're men, and they had to be challenged, right? And then men's meetings, you do things like we had an event called All the Meat You Can Eat one night. And we had a couple of, we had one of the churches go buy like a van load of food, and we had like burgers and steaks and, and hot dogs. And, you know, and when I, I remember when I saw all the food, I thought, Good night. These guys will never eat all that. We had, the, we had the dinner that night before the last meeting, and I think there was one hot dog left out of all that food. Those guys tore it up. That's a man's meeting. We want to eat. We want meat. We want to kill something. Don't mind if we get dirty, but that's not a woman. Women didn't come from dirt. That's why they don't like you bringing dirt in their house. It's a different way of thinking. You know, we, had a, we have a ladies' meeting in New Song. We do it at the Tower Theater someplace nice, right? And we decorate, and they wear bling, and they dress up and do their hair for all afternoon, and we put makeup on. And, and, you know, guys come together, and we go, hey, how you doing? You a man? I'm a man. Good to be a man, ain't it? We be men, right? Women, they're like, they're all over the place. Oh, it's so good to see you, girl. I love those shoes you're wearing. And, oh, your hair is so pretty. And, oh, do you have children? Really? Yeah, let me show me their pictures. Aren't they the cutest thing? And that's women. They're real connecting, right? Men, we're, we're a little different. And then when women eat, they don't eat all the meat you can eat. They want to eat like little sandwiches. And they, they like to eat like, you know, little candies and, and broccoli. And they like broccoli. Dip it. How many like broccoli? Anybody like broccoli? Put your hands down. Nobody likes broccoli. Broccoli's nasty. It's awful. I don't know. Maybe you do. Uh, no, we like cheeseburgers. And uh, see, we're different. And God's declaring. I'm not saying we're just macho and go 
blowing by everybody, but we're men. It says that men came from, man was formed from the dust of the ground, right? And I studied that word out, and I found out one of the definitions for form, this is interesting, is the word lumped. It's like God took some dirt and squeezes it together, and there you go. Lumpy. <laughs> but women, they, didn't, they weren't built like that. In fact, the Scripture says in, in Genesis 2, when the woman came from the man, it said God made the woman. And the construction process, as you study this word, is it was more detailed. And actually the word made there, one of the definitions is the word built. And that kind of makes sense. Women are lumped. I mean, men are lumped, but women are built. I like that they're built, don't you? Not trying to be crude, but it's a good thing. So you have to know, first of all, that you, who you are, you are a man. Point number two, Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew about his future. Jesus understood his assignment. What is your assignment? Write that down. What is your assignment tonight? Adam had an assignment even before he got married. Genesis 2.15, I'm talking about foundational truths that we, we build on, all right? That we build our purpose on. Uh, it says in Genesis 2.15 that after Adam was created, the Lord took him and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So before Adam got married, he had some things in place. He had some structure in his life. There are four things that, that he had, had going for him. I'll say it that way. Before he got married, before God gave him his bride, and she was given to him as a gift. Number one, he had a place to live. And it was nice. It was a garden of Eden. Garden means, uh, or Eden means uh, a heavenly life. And it, can you imagine how wonderful it was before the curse? How beautiful it was? And God placed him in this wonderful place, and so he had a place to live. And then he had an assignment. He had a work. Do you know every man is created, and there's something in us. We, ha we have a desire. We want to fulfill something in life. God put gifts in you, and he didn't put that in you to frustrate you. He put that in you to bring to pass an assignment. So Adam's assignment was twofold. It was his work. He was to work. He tended that garden. And then it says he was to guard it or he was to protect it. And even before we hear anything about the devil or the serpent, we're hearing God say, really inadvertently, God is saying, Adam, now I'm going to give you this place to live, and I want you to, you have authority here, but understand this, there's going to be somebody you're going to have to guard this from. There's an enemy that's going to try to take this from you. As you live life, you have to soberly understand there's an enemy that wants to take you down. So he had an assignment. And num number three, he had some disciplines in his life. He had some do's and don'ts. God said, all these trees, Adam, you can eat except this one. That tr that's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's mine. And don't eat that. Because the day that you eat of that tree that is mine, that is all about honoring me, the day you eat of, m of my tree, that's a day you will surely die. Wow. What God is saying is you got to have some disciplines in your life. you got to learn to say no to things that come against you. Yeah, God wants to bless you. He wants to do incredible things for you. But as a man, God expected Adam to stand up and say, what does that tree represent? I think it represents, first of all, just honoring God. I think it represents tithing. And if you want your money to be blessed, you have to get in God's financial plan. And from the very beginning, God's financial plan, you invite him. You know, the tithe is not designed to take anything away from you. It's designed for you to welcome God into your money because money's a big deal in life. Has anybody noticed that? You need money. Money does things. God wants to bless you with money, but he wants you to do it his way. So we have to honor him. And number four, the things Adam had in place before he got married, he was walking with God. He had a father. I believe his daddy taught him in the garden. 
I believe probably Adam had a lot of questions. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. And I believe his father walked with him. You know, here's the thing. When you have a father, you have a leg up in life. And there's some of you tonight that you didn't have a father. And if you're not careful, it's what you do. You got saved. You met Jesus. But you still kind of have this hole. And you go back to this thing. Yeah, but I didn't have a dad. But you do have a dad. (laughs) You have a dad. Who is that dad? It's Jesus. Study Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then number two, you have a dad in the church. The local church, I believe, is designed for a place for us to find people, a father image, a brother image, somebody to help fill some of those holes that maybe you were missing for whatever the way you were raised was. God can make that up to you if you'll, look, if you'll go for it and you realize he wants to. And so he has his things together before he got married. And then what happened when things were in place? God gave him a bride. So marriage for most people is a big part of our life, and it's got to be a priority. It's got to be a priority. See, I read statistics that 90% of men or people in their life will be married at some time. So most people are going to be married. Now, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, that there is a gift not to be married. And Paul had that gift. He was able to obey God in whatever God wanted him to do because he didn't have a wife to take care of. And there's a gift that you have to, 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 if you do that. So, Pastor Ken, how do I know I, I have the gift or not? We'll write this down. If you like girls a lot, you probably don't have the gift. <laughs> so, so you, it's good for you to get married. <laughs> and marriage is a good thing, right? And it's a, write this down, marriage is a priority in your life. Your wife is designed to be your partner. Genesis 2.18, God makes a statement. God said, it's not good that this guy's alone. And so he said, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to give him, and I'm going to read from the King James because I think it's very important to understand, the old King James. The word it says, I'm going to give him and, him and help meet. Help meet, not help mate. I help meet. I'm going to break this down for you, what this really means. It means, the word help actually means help, okay? A helper, okay? Because God said it's not good that you're alone. You need somebody to live life with. You know, that's just a true principle for any of us. If you, if you get isolated in life, you get, you get off to yourself too much, you're going to start thinking strange. You need people around you. Once again, you need the church. You need people that are, you know, if you get too isolated, you'll become somebody weird, like the Unabomber. And you don't want to do that, right? So you need people. So, so God's saying, yeah, I'm helping you. I'm trying to help you. I don't want any Unabombers coming out of this meeting, okay? It's not good that you're alone. And so God says, I'm going to make him and help me. Here's what help me means. Help, helper. But the word me is an interesting word. Some of you who have done premarital counseling know where I'm going. But meet actually means a helper opposite or a helper against. Or you can say it this way, a helper with a different opinion. <laughs> Ringing some bells, isn't it? That's why she does that. She's always got a little bit, but honey, here's what we're going to do, and I'm telling you what, this is going to be great. And, well, I don't know if I like that, see, because let me tell you about this. And you go, dang it, I didn't see that. Or she's got this helper thing that works in her all the time. It's like, we, it, Trudy still does this now. We're out driving. You know how you're driving down the freeway and, uh, and, and, and there's a truck, you're passing a truck maybe? You know how you, you'll be driving along and you kind of feel like that truck's kind of edging over? And, and she's trying to help me. I'm driving. But she's, and, she, and she says this all the time. Does that truck see you? She's asking me a question. She asks a lot of questions. She's like her son. Does that truck see you? And I said, honey, I don't know what the truck sees. I, you know, questions, helping. That's why when you pull up to a light, and you're the driver, you're the man, you know what you're doing. How many men know how to drive, right? We're men. We know how to drive. So we're sitting there. The light is red. We know red means stop, so we're stopped. And then the light, is, it's, it's not to green. It's just still pink. But before it gets to green, here's your wife will say, it's green. You can go now. 
I got eyes, babe. You think she's just trying to frustrate me or she's trying to get on my nerves? No. She's trying to help you. Here's what you got to do. You got to open up to her help. She needs you to connect with her, to receive her as a gift. You got to open up to her. You got to talk to her. And you got to you got to get down and here's the thing about women, they like a lot de- a lot of details. A lot more details than you want to give. But she can't help it. But wisdom is in the details. I remember in 1971. Anybody remember 1971? Besides me? Brother. Right there. All right. Long time ago. I've been married about six months. I've been out on the lake July the 4th, fishing and drinking with my buddy. Because my wife has kind of fallen off the deep end. She came home one day, or I came home one day, and she tells me, I got saved today. She's been crying, and, and her, but her, she just looks like she's sparkling. I'll never forget it. She said, I got saved today, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know this is so awesome and wonderful. And she just knew when she told me that, that I would just jump right in. And she told me, she said, are you ready to get saved? you ready to serve God? And I said, no, no babe. No, 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 no. <laughs> Why? Because I was a man, and I was dumb, and I didn't know much about God. But I watched her now for a few months, and, man, she's reading her Bible, and she's changed. And, and, and I'm watching her, but something's different about her. And, but now she's going to go to this family prayer meeting over the 4th of July weekend, 1971. But I'm not going to go to that. And so I went out on the lake, and me and my buddy been out drinking beer and fishing. And that's the 4th of July, and that's what you do. And But I came home, and I walked in the door. She had gotten there before me, and she's standing there, and she's smiling at me. And I said, what? I said, you have a good time? She says, she said, come here. I said, what? She said, look at my eyes. Trudy had taken a fall at four years old. Triggered a birth defect, caused her, eye, caused her eyes to cross, impaired her vision. She grew up that way. She grew up with sometimes mean little kids call, calling her cross-eyed. She went through grade school and junior high and high school, and she's very pretty, but there were pictures of her. In fact, I looked at one this afternoon with her eyes that are weak. You could tell someone quite right. She said, look at my eyes. I looked at her eyes, and those green eyes were as straight as they could be. She said, I was prayed for last night, and God healed me. This is real. What are you going to do with that? What would I do? What would I be doing today without her? She's my help meet. She doesn't think like me, but that's a good thing. Because as a team, there are places we can go together that you can't go alone. So what you got to do is lay down man pride and receive your wife as a beautiful gift. That's one of the foundations of your life. And if you're looking for a wife, believe God for the right one. Because you are designed 90% of the time, and maybe there's somebody here tonight that you got the gift. But if you have a wife, you have got to open up and lay down your pride and receive her as a gift. Does that help anybody? Your marriage is the ultimate team of life. Strong churches are made of marriages that are connected. Not perfect. Are you kidding? It's never perfect. I have been married for 49 years. And pretty much, I'll be real, pretty much every day of my life, my wife and I have a disagreement. And we're both, sometimes they're heated because we're passionate. God put passion in people. But you're supposed to go somewhere with your spouse. So, that question is, what is your assignment? The first of all, you're, you're assigned to be married. Number three, Jesus knew where he came from. 
knew who he was, knew where he was going. His destination was the cross. Yeah, he went through some stuff. You go through some stuff. But his ultimate re- uh, destination was resurrection. The power of God showed up, right? So he knew where he was going. But then Jesus knew where he came from. That's your past. That is your position. Your posi- what is your position? You know, Adam fell, right? We talked about that. I believe every person born has the same has the same uh, choice Adam made. There's some time in everybody's life, because the Scripture tells us this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're going to make the same dumb decision Adam did. You're going to turn your back on God. It's inevitable. We're all going to do it. This curse is on the earth, and it comes on us all, and we made that decision, and we failed. But here's the good news. The bad news is you died, and you died threefold. You died in your spirit. That's the major thing. You know what Adam, the big thing Adam lost? He lost the Holy Spirit in his heart. He lost that connection, that intimacy with God. It's gone now, and he's black on the inside. And then it didn't happen right away, but then his body died. And there was a day that came, and this is happening to all of us. Got bad news for you. We're all aging. It happens quickly. You can fight it all you can. I'm fighting it with all I got. But it seems like my hair is getting grayer. Wrinkles are coming more and more. This is, this is what's going to happen on the earth. But I got some good news for you. One day we get a glorified body. That body that you have, however it dies, whatever happens to it, all those cells, I mean, how does God do this? He's really good, okay? They're going to come back together, and you're going to get a glorified body. What are you going to look, at, look like? We don't know. Paul said, I'm not sure what what will be, and yet I believe it's going to be the best you you've ever seen. We're going to all get abs back. And we're going to be pretty again, right? And so, but we died, and then your mind gets messed up. Your thinking gets skewed. That's why Jesus had to come, and he came to renew everything about you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Am I helping anybody tonight? 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're talking about what is your position. It says this, when you receive Christ. This is so awesome. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Exclamation point. And all of this is a gift from God. You didn't earn this. You didn't deserve it. But Jesus did it for you. He came to restore your position who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm telling you, you've been reconciled back to Jesus. He, 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 didn't, he doesn't want you to just die and go to heaven because you have purpose right now. But here's the thing. Here's your worst enemy. It's not the devil. Your worst enemy, I'll say it again, is not the devil. Your worst enemy is your thinker, is your mind. It's what you think. Look at Colossians 1.21. says this, And you who, were, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind. Where? Where are you an enemy? Everybody say it real loud. In your mind. Say it. It's your mind. It's your thinker where you're an enemy with God. No, you're, you're, not, a, you're not an enemy to God anymore. He's not an enemy to you. He loves you. But your mind has to be renewed to that. It says, uh, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, everybody say if, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached, preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's a big if here. See, everything that was lost, has been restored to Christ. But here's the kicker, and it says it here. you got to believe it. you got to first of all say, I believe that. And now I'm going to learn about it, and we learn about it all our time on the earth. This renewal goes on every day of your life. That's why if you get out of the Word of God, if you don't read the Bible, if you, if you hang out of church too much, see, this is a place we get our minds renewed. We get our thinking changed. you got to change your thinking. Your spirit has changed instantly, but your thinking has to be renewed. You're not who you were. 
You're a new creature in Christ. So my question to you tonight is, as we close, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a victim? Do you see yourself as fatherless? Do you see yourself as mistake prone? Do you see yourself as a flea? Why say that, Brother Ken? You know, David asked that question when Saul was chasing him. You remember the prophet David, the great King David? The, the king at that time, Saul, was after him to wipe him out. Saul was a backslidden king that had been chosen by God, but now he's away from God. And David, he knows, is coming on the scene. So Saul hated David, and he goes after him. This is much like, you know, the devil hates you and wants to separate you from your destiny. He wants to do all he can. And so one day, David's hiding out in the wilderness, 1 Samuel 24, 14, and he tells King Saul, who is on his trail, who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one as, a worth, as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? So David, because of his problem, his circumstance that was screaming at him, he's being chased, having to hide out, says, man, what am I? Why are you after me? I'm just a dead dog. He saw himself as a dead dog. That's not much, is it? Or as a flea? Fleas aren't very big. As a flea. I want you to think about fleas for a minute, all right? <laughs> are you looking at yourself like a flea? You know, in the 1880s, they invented this thing called a flea circus, and it really did exist. And they would take these fleas, and they would train them. In fact, I got a picture. Put that up, guys. This is a flea. See how small this is in scale? That's a guy looking at this flea. And that's a little cart, and that's a flea, magnified big time, pulling this little cart around. And they had these flea circuses, and they would train these fleas to pull carts and to... Uh, to make a Ferris wheel go around and around. And people would pay money to see a flea circus. Anybody ever heard of a flea circus? They still, they don't exist much anymore. But a flea circus. And the reason they did this is because fleas have this big time power in their legs and in their knees. And they can jump for their size tremendous, you know, uh, distances. Like uh, a flea can jump uh, seven inches high or about 10 inches wide, uh, horizontally. And, and for a human being, that would be like flat-footed you jumping over the Eiffel Tower, all right? So they saw these fleas had power, and I don't know who got the idea, but let's have a flea circus. And they trained these fleas. But this is how you trained a flea. You put these fleas in a jar, and you put a lid on the top of the jar. And these fleas would at first jump up, and they hit their little flea head on the, on the jar or on the lid, right? And so... Uh, they, they would do this for a while, and then they'd learn, man, when I jump up, and I'm, I'm the real flea I'm supposed to be, then, you know, I keep hitting my head, and it hurts. And so they learned that they would only jump up within a centimeter of, of where that lid was, and they would train those fleas like that and to the point that they could take the lid off after a period of time, and the flea would only jump up so high because they were a trained flea. Insignificant, only do so much. You know, that's what the devil tried to do to us. He trained us to be fleas in a jar. He put a lid on us, right? He put a lid on our thinking. And he wants you to think a certain way. But I want you to know tonight, Jesus took the lid off of you. There is no lid on you. you the devil's not big enough to take you down. Not if you stand up to him. And not if, you, not if you realize who you are. And who are you? You're who the Bible says you are. You are somebody in Christ. You have the right to be somebody in Christ. Sin tried to put a lid on you, but Jesus came to take the lid off. And I'm going to read you something that I read about somebody that I thought was so cool. And this is just a natural story. But listen to this. There was a homecoming football game between Augsburg College and Concordia in Minnesota. Late in the game, nose guard David Stevens came off the bench and sparked a fire. He made two tackles and then recovered a fumble. As he held the ball high, the crowd roared. David Stevens was born to a mother who had taken thalidomide, and his feet appeared where his legs should have started. He was hopelessly deformed. Davis was adopted by a foster family. Bill and B. Stevens imposed strict rules of behavior on David, nurtured and loved him. They insisted he do things for himself and didn't put him in a wheelchair. 
At age three, he was fitted with legs. In school, he became a student leader, made good grades, and organized special events. In high school, he not only played football, but basketball, baseball, and hockey. He became a champion wrestler, and he didn't have legs. When he was offered handicapped license plates, he refused them, saying, these are for people who need them. I'm not disabled. You may have the right, but in Christ, you're not disabled. You are not a victim. There is no longer a lid on you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it tonight? you got to rise up in him and believe it. You have the right to have a productive career. You have the right to have a blessed marriage. You have the right to raise kids that love God. You have the right to be a part of the body of Christ. You have a right to fulfill the very purpose and mission that you were born for. So here's my last question, and then we're going to pray. Would you guys come on up and get in? Would you come up and play? Here's my question for you. What are you believing about yourself tonight? I want you to close your eyes. Bow your heads. What are you believing about yourself tonight that doesn't line up with the Word of God? What is the Holy Spirit telling you that you can do that the enemy or your past or your mind is trying to tell you you can't? Because God puts dreams in people's hearts. And here's my challenge to you tonight. Submit that dream to God and allow him to take you. Believe him and allow him to take you to the place that you can go to by yourself. You know, I had a dream when I was a young kid to, uh, to do music. And I want to be a songwriter. And so, you know, I tried to be in bands growing up, play drums and but then I got saved, and I gave that to God. And then I began this adventure, and I got into, of all things, kids' ministry. And as I got into kids' ministry, back in the 80s and the 90s, and we, I was on a kids' TV show, and I did music for the show, and I wrote kids' songs. And my dream was fulfilled, but I, I, did, I had to do it God's way. Are you willing to do it God's way tonight? God did put a dream in your heart, and you can do it, but you got to do it God's way. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you tonight. We lift our hands and praise you. I thank you for dreams that are stirring in people's lives tonight. I thank you, Lord, for a new release for people. And, Lord, we thank you that the purpose we have is going to come to pass as we do it your way. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.